ischemic mitral valve disease. Preview question, which of the following is correct according to Carpentier's classification for ischemic mitral insufficiency? There's normal leaflet motion in type 2. Type 3B is characterized by leaflet tethering during diastole. 3, there's no leaflet abnormality in type 1. 4, anterior prolapse is considered type 2A. 5, type 4 occurs with acute cortical rupture. Just going to have to memorize this. They don't really mean anything, the numbers, do they? we'll walk through it. So the correct answer is three. Uh, yeah, two-thirds got that, and we'll walk through that. That's annular dilation. So here's the classification. Type 1 is pure annular dilation. There's normal leaflet motion. Type 2 means leaflet prolapse. There's no A or B subclassification. Then type 3 does have a subclassification, and that's restriction or tethering of the leaflet. If it's both diastole and systole, it's 3A, and only systole is type 3B. So here's a diagram that shows that again here on the left side. Annular dilation, type 2 is prolapse of a leaflet, type 3 is restriction. So most patients that have acute ischemic MR, it's type 2, right? They either rupture a cord or they rupture a papillary muscle or something like that. Chronic ischemic MR tends to be either dilation, so type 1, or type 3B, which is systolic tethering and restriction of the leaflet. In acute myocardial infarction, 40% of these will be inferior infarcts and only 15% of anterior infarcts. Anatomic changes that occur with ischemic MR include increased annular dilation and area, displacement primarily of the posterior medial papillary muscle, and then tethering and restriction of the posterior leaflet primarily down into the LV apex. So when it happens uh, post-MI, when you get acute in, uh, insufficiency that's uh, Morphology A, when it's papillary muscle rupture, a third of these will be complete rupture, two-thirds partial. Most of these are posteromedial, and that's because when you get a big infarct to the inferior wall, that's usually right dominant circulation. You have single blood supply to that posteromedial papillary muscle, so that one's more prone to rupture. Chronic mitral insufficiency that's associated with ischemic heart disease has two morphologies. So there's ischemic dysfunction of the papillary muscles, so they can get shortened, they can get scarred, you can have an old papillary muscle that, that then ruptures, or you can have asynergy of the AV wall, or you have annular dilation, right? The LV gets big and stretches out, and so does the annulus. So the natural history, fortunately, of acute MR after an infarct is uncommon now with our great cardiology interventional uh, partners and thrombolytic therapy. If you have total rupture of a papillary muscle, as shown here, mortality is very high. Uh, the vast majority will be dead in two weeks. If it's partial rupture, a little better survival, but still it's 50% uh, survival at one month if they don't have therapy. Clinical features, these will show up within a few hours to up to two weeks post-MI. It's usually within the first few days. They're hemodynamically compromised in shock. Uh, they'll have a new murmur. You know, every once in a while they'll have one that doesn't have a murmur because they're in such bad shock, the blood's hardly going back and forth, so you can't hear anything. Importantly, they have a normal-sized heart and a small left atrium, and that affects your operative ability. On echo, they'll have this big flail mitral leaflet, like shown here in the still echo image. Dysfunction of the, of the LV, they'll have an echo-dense papillary muscle that's flopping around in there and, and wide-open MR. So it's indicated for emergency surgery. Um, 
If you have acute MR post-MI without a rupture, operation is advisable in most of these patients because most are in shock and they have pretty high mortality. If it's chronic MR, uh, if it's severe, we'll talk a little bit more about that, when you're doing their coronary revascularization, you should intervene on that mitral valve. And understand that half of the patients that have coronary disease and chronic MR, it's due to something else. It's not ischemic MR, they've got myxomatous disease or some of the reason for their mitral insufficiency. All right, so the acute MR patient after an infarct, so you're gonna stabilize them, sometimes even put them on ECMO. It's a small left atrium, so don't forget about the transeptal approach if you need to do that. So bicable cannulation is always a good strategy, so you have, have that option if you need to. Uh, there are reports of doing a ventriculectomy through that large akinetic area. I wouldn't recommend that. That's pretty tough to put that back together, so do your best to see it through the atrium somehow. Um, there's the occasional patient that has an MI and has acute MR and has intact papillary muscles. Um, so you may consider doing coronary bypass alone if that MR is sort of intermittent, you know, mild, severe, back and forth while you're watching them. You do need to do complete revascularization, and that does help prevent extension of infarction. So at surgery, do you replace it or do you repair it? Well, that sort of depends on the degree of insufficiency and the pathology. So if it's an emergent operation with a ruptured papillary muscle and this is the first or second time you do it, you probably just want to replace that. We had a senior partner, Ken Jones, who used to say, a live patient with a functioning valve trumps a dead one with a repair. So put a new valve in and have a survivor. Consider mitral valve repair if it's dysfunction of the papillary muscle and the chordae are pretty good, or it's a single head, head rupture and you think you can secure that down and you got a good view of it, but most people would say replace that thing. And use a bioprosthetic valve. Again, it's a sick patient. You're going to come out on ECMO. You don't want to have a mechanical valve in there because you may not be able to anticoagulate them on early, and there is a pretty poor long-term prognosis, so outliving the valve is, is a concern. And again, there are subtle changes in, in the anatomy and acute MR, so if you're going to do a repair or something simple like a P2 is great, not a bunch of cords and resizing and all this sort of stuff. So uh, this is just an illustration showing repairing this through a uh, ventriculotomy. So uh, feel free to give that a crack if you want. All right, outcomes mortality is substantial, right? Because they're, they're shocked, you're going in, they're in shock when you're coming out. Um, even if they're not in shock, this is a high-risk operation, mortality 10 to 15%. Uh, so it's a big deal. And again, if it's severe MR and they have low EF, just, just replace it. Because if you repair them and then they're left with the repair that isn't great, you haven't helped them at all, and, and just understand that. Now, the chronic side, so chronic ischemic MR, the mortality from this ranges from 3 to 10%, because typically this is a combined operation, coronary bypass plus mitral valve surgery. And that doubles or triples that, that standard isolated operation. If you can, repair is preferable in these patients. Uh, the mortality is not consistently lower because it's sort of a mixed bag of patients, but the lower risk patients will have better long-term survival than those that have replacements. So if it's a, you know, a younger patient, they're lower risk, uh, a repair is going to be the better option here. Do understand, though, that their long-term survival is going to be worse than a patient with isolated coronary bypass or a patient that's having mitral repair replacement for non-ischemic disease. So these patients tend to do the worst out of the ones that we do concomitant operations on. 
Now, just a couple comments about combined mitral stenosis and coronary disease. So the, the risk here is these patients, uh, many of them have pulmonary hypertension, so that RV is going to be a little sore and a little sensitive. The coronary disease affects the left ventricle mostly, while the mitral stenosis hits the right heart, so you've got double ventricle insults, but from different things. The mortality is generally double of the ones that have chronic MR and coronary disease, and rheumatic patients will also have lower long-term survival, and that's just the effect of rheumatic disease on the heart over years. I did talk about MR and coronary disease together, but a couple other things to understand here is that the, the coronary disease affects the contractility of the heart, whereas the MR increases the, the preload. So you get a combined effect on that LV for decompensation of pulmonary hypertension. So that LV is under sort of double strain, and they'll have the highest mortality, like we talked about, if they have acute ischemic MR and, and have emergency surgery. Okay, follow-up question. Post-infarction mitral insufficiency. Typically involves complete papillary rupture. Most commonly involves the anterolateral papillary muscle. Most commonly occurs with anterior wall infarctions. Complete papillary rupture is associated with 75% mortality in the first 24 hours. Use of thrombolytic therapy has not decreased the incidence of this complication. Okay, so most of you got it, right? So that's super high mortality in the first 24 hours if it's a complete rupture. Again, it's the posteromedial papillary muscle, inferior wall. Um, most of them don't have a complete rupture, and thrombolytics have certainly decreased the in incidence of this.